I'm going to talk to you today about living under the correct covenant. Living under the correct covenant. Am I insinuating that somehow, some way that maybe some have been living under the wrong covenant? That is exactly what I'm saying. What if you have spent the last 30 years of your life, 20 years of your life, 15 years of your life living under the wrong agreement? That would cause a problem. What if as a minister of the gospel, you have spent all your ministry teaching from the perspective of the wrong covenant? Now, let's talk about what a covenant is and then move into this thing. I've got like maybe 30 or 40 scriptures to, to share with you that you're going to need because you're going to, you know, I just recently left uh, the Believers Convention and the Lord led me to begin to deal with this. And after I dealt with it, half the arena came down for prayer of shame and condemnation. Because if you teach the wrong covenant, the wrong covenant is only going to produce shame and condemnation in the lives of people. So living under the correct covenant. So let's define the word covenant. A, a covenant, uh, it, a covenant is, and, and, and I'm referring to uh, blood covenants in the Bible. A covenant, somebody say, well, it's like a contract. Yeah, kind of like a contract, except a contract in our society can be broken. You can go and argue over it in the court and you may come out on top, even though you had a contract or you might be released from it. Even it, it becomes negotiable terms and all that. But this is a little bit different. A covenant is an irrevocable vow, promise, agreement. It's an irrevocable vow, promise, agreement between two or more parties that are involved and it can only be broken by death. The closest thing that I know of a covenant in this society is the mafia. <laughs> Once you in, you in. You don't just step out. <laughs> it is an irrevocable pledge, promise, vow between two or more parties to carry out the terms in the agreement that were agreed upon and can only be broken by death. And this covenant is something that God willingly submits himself to, to say, I am serious about covenant. I'm so serious about it that I'll become a part of this covenant to let you know that if I promised it, it's going to happen. If I said it, it's going to happen. If I, if I proclaimed it, I'm not backing out. And he did this to come on the level of man. Now, the Bible is a book of covenant agreements. There are different types of covenants in the Bible. But there are two major covenants in the Bible that we're going to deal with, two major covenants by which all other covenants derive from, and that is the old covenant better known as the covenant of law or the Mosaic covenant and the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace or sometimes referred to as the second covenant. Um, God deals with man through covenant agreements. He deals with man through covenant agreements. It's, it's not this thing of wake up in the morning time and, and we just kind of practice religion. This is a serious deal. He has an agreement in uh, every dispensation, you see God striking up an agreement. 
an agreement not to flood the earth again, uh, an agreement not to destroy this or to do that. God's, God's words are so binding and so strong. The Bible says he, he'll be, he's ever mindful of his covenant, that he's a covenant-keeping God. He will not forget his covenant. He will remember his covenant. But the two major covenants, the old covenant of the law, and the new covenant of grace is what we're, what we're looking at here this morning. Now, so God's going to deal with me through covenants. And I've got to become, as a minister, I've got to become covenant-minded. I can't be religious-minded. Here, here are the ten rules I've got to keep. No, I've got to become covenant-minded. Here's the agreement. See, the problem with religion is, Religion wants to give you rules to keep, and you can have a bunch of rules and still not know the agreement. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? So we're talking about knowing the agreement that God has with man in this dispensation and in this time. Because if you don't know it, you could be teaching the wrong agreement. I mean, if you're coming to get a job with Coca-Cola and I give you an agreement from Pepsi, how many of you know it's not going to work at Coca-Cola? That, that, that agreement doesn't belong there. And so the same thing is true here. Um, so before we get into this, let's look at um, a comparison. Let's compare and contrast the covenant of the law. The covenant, the covenant of the law is also known as... Um, the Mosaic Covenant. It's known as the First Covenant. It is that covenant that includes the Ten Commandments and all 613 other laws. Uh, the Old Covenant is a, it is a conditional covenant based on performance. It's, it's a conditional covenant based on performance. And the old covenant is an agreement between God and Jewish people. Okay. This old covenant, including the Ten Commandments, is between God and Jewish people. If you're not Jewish, you're not even at the table. <laughs> okay. Now, the new covenant is an unconditional covenant. It is an agreement between God and Jesus, our covenant representative. And... It is a covenant based on your belief uh, in, in Jesus. It's your belief in what he's already accomplished for you. And so what I want to do is, is before I got into this and some of that stuff I'll mention just again, I wanted you to see the uh, compare and contrast this old covenant agreement with the new covenant agreement. So under the old covenant agreement, you have the law. But under the new covenant agreement, you have grace. So now it's an agreement where the law is concerned, and then there's grace. The second one is that this, again, uh, uh, this old covenant is an agreement with Jewish people. This new covenant is an agreement with Jesus. That's pretty important. Number three, the old covenant when you operate under the law, it's designed, it kills. But the new covenant gives life. Okay, number four. Under the old covenant, it's all about man's lack of faithfulness. 
I mean, he'll be faithful for a moment and, you know, maybe six months and then, you know, he doesn't do his job. And under this old covenant, if he doesn't do his part, God can't do his. But under the new covenant, it's all about the faithfulness of Jesus. Number five, under the old covenant, you know, it shines the light on sin. That's what the old covenant does. It, it shows you what's wrong with you. It shines the light on sin. But under the new covenant, it shines the light on the perfection of God's son. Number six, under the old covenant, it, it, gives, uh, it gives to bring, it, it was given to bring man, man's sin out. In other words, um, you'll see this morning that the, uh, the old covenant of the law actually increases sin. Sin abounds. It doesn't transform. It has no transformative power. The law can't transform you. The law can't make you holy. The law just shows you what's wrong with you. Uh, but under the new covenant, it was given to make men holy. It will transform you. Number seven, under the old covenant, it condemns. Condemnation comes, guilt comes, shame comes. Under the new covenant, however, it justifies. Under the old covenant, it brings sin consciousness. It makes you sin conscience. Um, Galatians talks about that in Galatians 3, how, you know, what was the purpose of the law? To, to, to make men more conscious of the sinfulness of sin. But then uh, under the new covenant, it brings Jesus. Boy, that's awesome. I love what I saw. I walked in here and I saw unveiling Jesus. That's exactly what these, these two days are going to be. Is we're going to unveil Jesus to you. Amen. Um, under the old covenant, it condemns. Under the new covenant, it justifies. Under the old covenant, it brings sin consciousness. The new covenant, it brings Jesus consciousness. Under the old covenant, it covers sin for a year. The blood of animals covered sin for the year. Under the new covenant, it takes sin away. Um, is it one more? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Now, you, you, you see, obviously, there is a difference between the old covenant of the law, the old agreement, and the new agreement. Now, somebody says, well, we're just going to mix them. Well, you can't do that either. You can't take new wine and put it in old wine skins, or you won't get the benefit of either one of them. And if... if if it's a way to describe the state of the church right now, it is mixtures. We take a little of law, a little gray, take some out of this agreement, stick it with that agreement. You know, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. No, you bipolar. <laughs> you, don't, you don't do that. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at this life under the old agreement, and I'm going to try to convince you in the first part of this teaching why you should not be trying to live according to the old agreement. And if you have the Ten Commandments framed in your house and you're preaching series on the Ten Commandments and wondering why your church is involved in so much sin, it's because of you. Because you're giving them exactly what they need so that they can do what needs to be done. Because, you know, we'll show you it has use and have, has value but not for those who are the righteousness of God. All right? So let's, um, 
Let's begin in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. Let me mention one other thing about covenants. I'm trying to make sure you get the foundations of this. There are three things that's true about every covenant. You have a benefactor who is God. You have benefits, which would be the blessing. And you have beneficiaries, which would be God's people. That's going to be true about every covenant. A benefactor, benefits, and beneficiary. Okay? God's the benefactor. The benefit would be the blessings. And um, we are the beneficiaries of, these, of this covenant. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Um, Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now, that's, even, that's covenant talk. And if you're not aware of covenant talk, people wouldn't just, you know, go and say, well, you, you, you need to be circumcised. No, 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 no. C circumcision was a token or a sign that you were in involved in this particular covenant. And here it, 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 it's, it's really talking about the Abrahamic covenant, which we won't have time to talk about, which is called the covenant of promise. But the Abrahamic covenant is totally fulfilled in the new covenant. Okay. So wherefore, uh, you know, so circumcision was a sign you were in covenant. Uncircumcision was a sign you're not in covenant. You now understand what David meant when he met Goliath. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who is this big old boy that doesn't have a covenant with God and I do? That's what that meant. See, everything changes. Your, your whole view of things begin to change when you can see things from a covenant perspective. All right, verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Now, this is why I choose to go here. I could do a better job with this scripture as far as context and perspective, but I, I want you to see something here that, that is still true. If, with anything, if you are a stranger to an, to an agreement of promise, if you are a stranger to the covenants of promise, if you don't know, now think about that. Think about the number of people in the world that, that don't know what we're getting ready to talk about now. That they're, they're not familiar with the agreements. They're just, they're familiar with religion, but they're not familiar with agreements. And so as a result of it, he says, if you are a stranger to your covenants of promise, watch this. You have no hope and you don't have a God in this world. Why? Because he deals through covenant. You don't have any hope. You don't have any hope. So that means you're hopeless. Like Abraham, who was hundred years old and is in the dead. His, his, his wife's womb was dead. There was no hope in the natural. So Abraham knew about this covenant and he went to the covenant to get hope where in the natural there is no hope. And I am telling you, when you look at your budget and you, you, and you look at, you know, the, 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 your people and you'll say, you know what? There is no hope that we're going to be able to pay this thing off. But you don't look at your people in your budget. You look at your covenant and you get hope from the covenant. So I, I am saying it is vital for us as men and women of God to become covenant-minded and to understand the agreements so we can have hope 
and we can have God in this world. If you understand that, say amen. amen. Now, let's, uh, I think that's all the foundation I need. So now let's, let's get involved. Let's examine each of these covenants individually. These are the two major covenants in the, in the word of God. And let's examine them. Let's first take the time and look at the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant of law. And let's, let's check that out. Deuteronomy 28 verses one through three and then verse 15. Now let's go and look at the actual agreement. What is the actual agreement here of the old covenant? Most people, they say old covenant, new covenant, but they never get into, well, what, what's the agreement here? What did God agree on? What did he, what did he covenant with us to do? What's his part? What's our part? Well, he says in verse one, here's the agreement. He says, and it shall come to pass if thou, if thou, now remember the old covenant agreement is an agreement based on your performance. It is based on what you do, what you do, God do in the old covenant. If you want God to be good, you got to be good. If you're not good, God's not good. Everything in this old covenant is based on your performance. If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do, now this is very, very, very important, to observe and to do, what's that next, next word? Uh, three of them, two of them. Observe and to do all, that's 600 and something commandments, right? Huh? That's not even 10. That's just the, the 10 were just the ones on the, on the, on, on etched in stone. If observing to do all his commandments, which I command me, command thee this day. So he says, if you can do all of them, that the Lord thy God will then set you on high uh, above all nations of the earth. If you can do all of them, verse two. And if you do all, if you can keep all the commandments, if you can be obedient to all all the commandments, you're going to get all these blessings. Is that what it says? Yes. You're going to get all these blessings and they're going to come on you and overtake you. But he reminds you, this is conditional now based on your performance. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord, thy God, verse three, and then blessed shall thou be in the city and blessed shall thou be in the field. Now, so the deal is if you can do all, if you can be, if you can be 100% obedient, then you'll get 100% blessing. All right. Now let's go to verse 15 because there's a consequence that he states here for not being able to keep it. And the consequence is, but it shall come to pass if your performance is not up to par and if you will not hearken unto the voice. So if you're not, if you don't hearken unto the voice of the Lord, thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Now, let me say this. Most, most preachers and most Christian people read this and they assume that he is talking about proportional blessings. In other words, they assume that if you can be 58% obedient, then you'll get 58% of the blessing. That's not what he says. See here, you can be 98.5% obedient 
and you'll still get 0% blessings and 100% curses. Oh no, let's take it up a little bit more. You can be 99.9% .9 obedient and still get 0% of the blessings and 100% of the curses. I, I, I'm putting it to you like this because I, I want to I convince you as we go on this journey that any part of you that thinks you can do this, you're sadly mistaken. The law wasn't given so you could be successful to keep it. No man ever kept it all except Jesus. Nobody. And so you trying to live by, this is too, the law, the law is, the law has no flexibility in it. Let me put it like this. The law doesn't have a heart. There's no flexibility in it. Didn't have a heart. It's perfect. Flawless. Now, I'm going to say it again because I meet lots of Christians who they're okay because they think they're reading a proportional thing. Well, I'm not perfect, but, you know, at least I can get some blessings for the 38% obedience. <laughs> that wasn't the agreement. Look at James chapter 2 and 10. You, you, that's not a part of this agreement. James 2 and 10 says this, uh, verse 10. For, whatsoever shall, uh, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of it all. See, unless I can convince you that you can't keep this, you're going to keep trying to keep it. Now, the law is so perfect, we still get a lot from it. I can, I can know this and still go back and look at the perfection of the law and, and see God. Because the law is holy. It's perfect. It came from God. But man is fallen and imperfect. And if this agreement, if we're living by this agreement here. So you got to understand on this agreement, a lot of people got stoned. A lot of people got killed. A lot of people died couldn't keep this. And, and, and even after God gave the law, I'll show, show you in a minute. It, right after he gave the law, he gave the sacrificial uh, service. And he says, I'll bless you through the sacrifice. Because if, if, if God hadn't given the sacrificial offering and put that system together, people would have died. People would have died. Now, let's go into this now. Um, so the law, Deuteronomy 28 speaks of perfect self-righteousness. The law, this covenant of law is, it will produce perfect self-righteousness. It is all based on what you can do. <laughs> it's, it's based on perfect self-righteousness. Now, let's go to Romans chapter five, verse 20 and 21. I tell you, I, I, I love teaching settings like this. I mean, who gets to take their time and cross every T, dot every I, look at you in the face, perceive what you're thinking in your mind, sit there and let you think it for a little bit, and then jack you up and change your tie. I'm telling you, man. And remember what I said a year or so ago, 
This represents a large number of people. When you're talking to ministers of the gospel, you ain't got to have no thousands of folks. You represent a whole lot of the vision that God has given you. This is like being in the room of presidents of nations. This is awesome. This is so awesome. I drove myself this morning. And as I was driving, I said, dear God, where's that street? <laughs> oh, my God. Now, watch this. Uh, Romans 5, 20 and 21. I want to look at this in the King James and then Amplified. Moreover, the law entered. Now, that's interesting. It entered. I don't even, I don't, I hadn't gotten into it yet, but I don't even believe God really wanted to go there with this law. I think God's heart has always been his grace because he demonstrated that the children of Israel did not get delivered out of bondage because of good behavior. It was the favor of God. He led them throughout the day with a cloud and at night a pillar of fire. It was the favor of God. He gave them manna. It wasn't because they deserved it or earned it. It's because God had a favor for them. But the law entered in. It entered. Now, I said, God, you got to show me. Why did it enter? If you have time, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 8. Read on through that whole thing through Genesis, uh, to, through Exodus 20. But Moses came, comes down a mountain. He gives them a word uh, from the Lord. And here's what they said. They said, we can do everything that God tells us to do. And we no longer need to be judged by his unmerited favor. We can be judged by our own merit. I said, ooh. And I kept reading and everything changed. Everything changed. Don't you touch that mountain or you'll die. What happened? What happened was, is they thought they could do this without him. And God said, the law now has to enter. Why? To show man that he cannot do it without him. So the law was given to bring man to an end of itself. The law was given to bring man to an end of his performance, but it was also given to show man what was sin because they were sinning before the law was given, but there was no law against lying. So Abraham lied, I count twice, probably more, but there was no law against lying. It was still a sin, but there was no law to make it a transgression. It's like you can speed, but if there's no law speeding, like on the Audubon in Germany, you know, you go as fast until somebody puts a speed limit there. That's not, you're not transgressing anything. So it entered in for several reasons, but one of the reasons was the fact that, you know, Man had to, had to come to an end of himself. He had to come to an end of his self-effort. He had to come to an end of his performance. The other reason was, you know, we need to show you who you are and your need for Jesus. If it wasn't for the law, you would never know your need for, for Jesus. So a lot of things that happened there. So it entered in. But notice why it entered in. The Bible says that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, the word abound means increase. So it entered in so that sin might increase. He says, so wherever sin increased, grace did much more increase. Man, that's powerful. Verse 21, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness 
unto eternal, unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now go back to verse 20 in the Amplified. Now here's what I want you to see. Listen, all my life as a preacher, I thought the Ten Commandments in the law was given to make me better. I would look at Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, you've seen that movie, or the Jesus movies during Easter time, and I'm like, you know, we saw him walking down with the two tablets, and, and I just thought that's going to make everybody better. You know, yeah, God's given the law so everybody can be better, and they can be holy, and they can be transformed. That is not it at all. God gave the law to increase sin. Look at this. But then law came in only to expand and increase the trespass, making it more apparent and an exciting opposition. But where sin increased and it abounded, grace did much more increase and abound. So it increased because of the law. Let's look at some other scriptures. Because I was pretty amazed. I had a hard time with that when I first saw that. The law was given to increase sin? What? Look at this, Romans 7, verse 12 through 13. Romans 7, 12 through 13. Wherefore the law is holy, yes, and the commandments holy, yes, and it is just, yes, and it is good, yes, and I'll add one more, it's perfect, yes. Wherefore the law is those things, verse 13. Was then that which is good, talking about the law, made death unto me, he said, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Notice sin came as a result of what? The commandment. Sin by the commandment. Now look at this while we're there. Look at back up to verse seven, Romans seven and seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Now, here's one of the things you'll hear. Somebody say, well, you know, Brother Dollar, yes, we're delivered from the law, but he's referring to the ceremonial law. You know, where you bring the animals and sacrifice. You, you don't have to bring the animals and get their blood anymore. Well, no, he's talking about the, all, the whole law. If, if he were not talking about the, the law, this covenant of law, he wouldn't have said, thou shalt not covenant. That's one of the big ten. So, this was given to cause men to increase in their sin, the sinfulness sin to be recognized. Wow. The law, the law is like a mirror. It shows you what's wrong with you, but it won't do anything to correct it. It's like medical dye that you stick on the inside of a person so you can clearly see the problem. That's what the law is. So you can clearly see what's wrong with you. Now let's look at Galatians chapter three, verse 19. Uh, I'm gonna look at this in the King James and the Amplified as well. Galatians three, verse 19. We cannot take it for granted that people know these things unless we teach them this, unless we kind of calm down and have a teaching session and say, let's look at this. You say you believe the Bible? Look, 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 look. Galatians 3.19, wherefore then serveth the law? He says it was added because of transgression 
till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. And so the question was, you know, what's the purpose of the law? Look at this in the Amplified. What's the purpose then of the law? He said it was added later on after the promise to disclose and expose to men their guilt because of transgressions and to make men more conscious of the sinfulness of sin. So it creates sin consciousness. And it was intended to be in effect until the seed, Jesus, the descendant of the heir, should come uh, to and concerning whom the promise had been made. And it, the law, was arranged and ordained and appointed through the instrumentality of angels and was given by the hand and the person of the go-between Moses and intermediary person between God and man. So you, you see the, the purpose of the law here. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 56. It, it, the law wasn't given to make you holy. The law wasn't given to make you a, you know, a better person, even though you hear other preachers talk about, and I'm not against the morality that comes as a result of the law, absolutely, but we have another way to achieve that in the new covenant, all right? He says, the, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is what? So what strengthens sin? The law strengthens sin. So what happens if you're preaching the agreement of the law over and over and over again, all you're doing is strengthening sin. So if there is an increase of sin in your church, preacher, it's your fault. The law strengthens sin. How come uh, in the Garden of Eden, how come you didn't see Eve being tempted to murder Adam. There was no law concerning murder. It wasn't a temptation. The only law that was in that garden was a law dealing with the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, don't eat of that tree. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's the temptation. That's the temptation. It's the only temptation that exists in that particular area. The law strengthens sin. And, you know, if I had to say to you right now, you know, when we finish this session, when you go outside, there's going to be a pink elephant to the left. Don't look to the left. <laughs> don't, don't look to the left. Now, we've just been all right if, if the Spirit of God could just, just lead and guide us. But I'm like, don't you look? Because if you look to the left, you're going to be in hell by noon. So what are you going to be tempted to do as soon as you walk? Oh, yeah. I got to see this pink elephant. A pink <laughs> elephant? The law strengthens sin. And that's, what, that's what's happened over the years. We've built up a sin consciousness on the inside of our people. And they have to now become a part of perfected phoniness in order to come to church because nobody's really dealing with the shame and the guilt that has come because of the stuff they're doing at home. And, you know... Preachers don't pay attention to it as long as we got big crowds and big offerings. We're cool, but you got big crowds, big offerings, but broken people. And so you begin to press towards church growth when you should be pressing towards church health. Because whatever is healthy will grow by itself. It'll grow by itself. But what happens is 
we, we're in a generation inundated with image building. And all we want to do is build an image to get the results of what we think is success. And if we can get what we think is success, you know, I'm going to get an airplane because that spells success. When did that become the reason to get an airplane? An airplane doesn't spell success. In fact, it could, it could also spell stupidity. Why would you get an airplane that, that is a money guzzler just to say I got one? That doesn't spell success. You get an airplane because it may be the tool that God told you you're going to need in order to accomplish what he told you to, 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 to get it. Large crowds is not a success. Large, oh, I've got, I've got large crowds. Well, do you, do, you, do you have real growth or do you have inflammation? Inflammation comes as a result of some disorders. You need to be healed in order for the inflammation. And what happens is inflammation can come and inflammation can go. So do you have a growing church or a swelling church? Because you put ice on a swell to try to get it to go down, right? Anyway, let me leave all that alone. I, I, I'm just, get back to covenant. I'll let, I'll let radical Pastor Mike deal with all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Amen. This is, this is real though. I, I'm, I, I look at people and how they work real hard, even, even to the grave, to try to get what they call success. And it's, it's do you realize that rest is spiritual? And you can brag about being selfless. Oh, I stay up with my staff 5.30 every morning. You know, I'm, I'm a selfless guy. No, you're going to be a dead guy after a while. You better figure out that vacations are spiritual. And rest is spiritual. And the word no is prophetic. You need to learn how to say, you need to learn the vocabulary of no. Well, pastor, can you come lay hands on my car? No. Can you come cast the devil out of my house? No. Why? Because God's given you the authority to do that. It's about time you learn how to operate in your authority. Some of y'all looking at me. You'll end up dead before your time because you didn't get a revelation of the spiritual benefits of rest. I just got back from several places and I, I, I think I was in England this past week and then went someone else and then we got on a meeting and and um, the first thing I did Monday morning I have a treatment room where I go into a restorative day and in that treatment room I start off uh, by doing stretching exercises and then I get on an oxygen tank for an hour and then I get off the oxygen tank and get on a bio mat and then while I'm on the bio mat I get a massage and while I get the massage I get up and drink plenty of water and I rest the, the rest of the day. I, it's, it's a quick way to restore my body so I can do stuff like today. So I've, I've had like the results of it is like five days of rest in one day because I got a treatment center. But you got to do something. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get back to what I'm supposed to be talking about here. 
okay. Romans 3, 19, 20. Romans 3, 19, 20. This is so important. And I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, you know, how people see success in ministry. Success in ministry is all about knowing what God called you to do and accomplishing what God called you to do. That's what it is. And you can't do that comparing yourself amongst yourself. It's difficult to achieve success, real success, while you're looking at other people and you are now redefining what success in the kingdom is all about. And, and sometimes that Christian television can be just the biggest enemy. Because you look at Christian TV and you look at the people come on Christian TV and you begin now to measure what you're doing and have with what they're doing and having. And you're thinking, well, that becomes the marker of success. The Holy Spirit is the, the marker of success and you accomplishing what needs to, to be accomplished in your life. And if you can't be free to, to become that, you're, you're, you'll die and, and you won't even know what success is. Now, I'm not going to leave here not knowing if I finish my course. Know your course, then finish your course. Know your course, then finish your course. So, what's your course? What's your course? Write it down. Do you know what you're supposed to be doing? Or are you just kind of piddling around? This might be something I might be successful at. No, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I know how I'm supposed to do it. I know where I'm supposed to do it. In fact, God and I got a deal. He says, I'll let you know where to go to stick it in your heart. And then I'll open the doors for it to happen. And since we made that deal, it's happened. The other deal is I agree to stick around on the earth until I'm no longer needed. So don't be getting tired saying, Lord, take me. I'm ready to go. Nope. You stay around until you're no longer. I know what I'm supposed to do. Do you know what you're supposed to do? Because if you don't, then you're never going to be able to define success. That's what it is. All right. So, uh, verse 19. Y'all still remember where we're at? Let's get back on. We, 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 we took an a exit. Now we're going across the, the uh, bridge and we're getting back on the road. All right. Old covenant. Now, we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Question. Who was the law? agreement with Jewish people, Israel. He says, uh, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So Jewish Israel, they were the test ethnic group chosen by God that we're going to make this covenant between God and Jewish Israel saying they're not going to be able to keep it. So none of the ethnic group will be able to keep it. And I honor, I honor Jewish people for doing this, but I'm not getting that, but I honor Jewish people for doing this. And, and I'm telling you right now, they couldn't keep it. No other ethnic group would be able to keep it and all would stand guilty before God. Next verse. Uh, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the sight, in his sight. For by the law is what? By the law is what? You know what he's saying? By the law, he will show you what's wrong with you. All right. Now, while we're there, let's look at verse 31. Romans 3, 31. 
he says, because this could easily, I mean, I've seen it happen before. A preacher picked this up and say, well, yeah, but here's what the scripture says. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Now, I'm sitting up here saying, wait a minute now, guys. The, the, the law is not for you to be living by, but that scripture says, yea, we ought to establish the law. What is he talking about here? You know, context is so important. And you've seen all of these other scriptures. Now you think this one is going to change it? So you know it can't be saying that. What he is saying is, because of the law, because of its perfection, because of its holiness, and because it is flawless, if it were not for the law, we would have never, we would have never been able to see our need for Jesus. Therefore, let us reverence the law. Let us esteem the law. Let's hold the law in high regard because without it, we would have never known our need for Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And I needed to share that with you because I can't tell you the number of people, you know, as, you know, I begin to teach, they, they throw this up here. Okay. Now, Galatians 2, verse 16 and 21. Galatians 2, verse 16, 20. We've got about two more scriptures and then we'll get to the new covenant. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. See, the law requires performance, works. But it's by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be declared righteous or justified. All right, look at verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain, wasted his time on the cross, wasted his time shedding his blood, if righteousness could come by the law. Righteousness can't come by the law. You know, righteousness comes by Christ and not by the law. Folks, let me, show, let me say this to you. Righteous people, when you are born again and you have been made righteous by what Jesus has done, you no longer live under the law. Now, let's go show you this. First Timothy chapter one and nine. The law is not for righteous people. The law is not for righteous people. The law is not for born again people. The law is not. You, you don't need the guidance of the law now that you're born again. There's a new guide that's going to be given to you. The law is not for righteous people. Look at this. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. But for who? Now, this shows you uh, how it can still be vital in, in some cases even today. It's not for righteous man, but it's for the lawless and it's disobedient and for the ungodly. It's for sinners. It's for unholy and profane. It's for murderers of fathers and, and murderers of mothers, for, for manslayers. And, and um, go to the next verse. Verse 10. For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So the law can still be valid to show those people who 
to show, them, to show others their issue, show them that that's their sin. But the problem is, is as pastors, if we teach that in church uh, or in a class where all these people are born again, they don't need this God anymore. They obviously have seen that they're sinners, and so they got born again and became saints. Why, why are you talking to them about that? Okay. Why are you telling them they got to perform in order to get God to do something? That's a, that's a, that's a way of preaching the law. You got to perform in order for God to bless you. You got to pray for five hours in order for God to bless you. You got you to gotta fast in order for God to bless you. Well, you got to be holy in order for God to bless you. See, you're telling people this is what they have to do instead of getting, in order to get the blessing. And once you understand the new covenant, it's no longer what you have to do, but it's now what you want to do. But you, you've got to understand this agreement is not for us. All right? Let's look at Matthew 5, 17 and 18, and then we'll go to the new covenant. This is another one that people use. Well, Jesus said he didn't come to destroy the law. Dear God, I used to get that all the time. I didn't even understand what they were trying to say. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. Huh? What they got to do with it? And so here's what, it, here's what it means. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. See there? See there? He said he didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. Well, keep reading. He said, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm the only one that can fulfill it. You can't. So it's not going, I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill every last one of them. Why? You can't fulfill it, so I'll fulfill it, and then you come in on what I did. You come in on what I did. You get in Christ. And if I fulfilled it, it's almost like you got a 30-foot wall. Nobody could clear the wall. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, nobody could clear the wall. Then Jesus came and cleared the wall. He says, I know none of y'all couldn't clear, but I did it, so you in. I cleared it, you cleared it. But only he could actually do it. And that's, that's, what, that's what he's saying here. Nobody could fulfill all of these laws I did. And, 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 and then when you, when you get to the point of thinking, there's still people, even after I, I, they hear this teaching, they say, well, no, 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 no. I can, I, 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 I can keep all the commandments. I, I, you can't even keep the 10. Just 10. You can't even keep, keep the 10. Whether Rich Young Ruler said he kept all of them, he lied. He was breaking them when he was lying about it. He didn't keep them. So, so, so what happens? Jesus comes in and he says, all right, so you think you can keep them? Uh, so here's the deal. Have you ever committed adultery? Oh, no. I've been with one wife all my life. You ever looked at a woman in a funny kind of way? He said, you committed adultery. He began to expand the impossibilities of you being able to keep it. Um, have you ever murdered anybody? I ain't never murdered nobody. You ever hated your brother? Uh, he said, you're a murderer. Wow. Wow. Who can do this? That's, what, that's the question I'm answering. You can't. 
but he did. He did. And imagine the enormous amount of pressure that we put on congregations trying to get them to do what can't be done. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You can't do that. Only Jesus could do that. But here's what he said in the New Testament. Because I loved you, you're not able to love. I'll love you first to enable you to do what you need to do. So this new covenant is all about what Jesus did first to empower and enable you to do what you couldn't do by yourself. This new covenant, I love a perfect illustration of this new covenant. You see Peter walking on the water by himself, trying to achieve it all by himself. He begins to sink. But the grace way is when he began to sink, Jesus picked him up and they both walked on the water together. And I think that's what this grace life is. It's a life where you're walking with Jesus. And as we unveil him so you can see him clearly, then you begin to understand that it is quite a deception for you to think that you're sufficient by yourself. Because you're not. You're not sufficient by yourself. I tell you what, it brings such liberty and such freedom. And as we get ready to get into this new covenant, I'm just so free. I can remember years ago, if we had a meeting like this, I wouldn't dare show up without a three-piece suit on. <laughs> I mean, even if they said it was casual, I am going to have my three-piece suit on with my, with my snakeskin shoes from Freedman's. Absolutely, absolutely. My little chain and hankish. I'm going to do it because that's the preacher's uniform. <laughs> And I thought I had to please God to do that. And to think that I'd come in here with a black shirt on, my shirt not even tucked in, with some loud colored pants, and just, are you kidding me? I have a revelation that God has already accepted me just like I am. Amen. Now, so that's the old. So now let's go to the new covenant. Let's go to the new one. We're not supposed, we're not ministers of the old covenant. We're ministers of the new covenant. We're not ministers of the letter. And the letter is a performance-based Christianity. We're not, we're not ministers of that. We're ministers of this covenant of grace. Amen. Now, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Now, let's look at the agreement of the new. The agreement of the new covenant. Wow. Awesome. I love this. Imagine if we had seminaries that taught this. Oh my God, it'd be worth going. <laughs> All right, now watch this. But now, wow, hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. By how also he is the mediator of a, say it, better covenant, which was established upon, say it, better promises. So we're talking about a better covenant. What's the implication? Better than that first one. A better covenant than that first one as far as uh, the results are concerned. You know, that covenant, like I said, it was holy and it was perfect. But it wasn't really good for us because you can't do it. <laughs> All right. But now watch this. I'm going to give you a better one. One more suited to your situation. And verse seven, 
For if the first covenant, what is he referring to the first covenant? The covenant of the law, Mosaic covenant. For if the first covenant had been, had it been, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. That's very clear. There was an issue with our relationship with that first covenant. So he says, we've got to look at a second one. And that's, that's like really clear. It's like, what is, what's the argument over? There's a better way to do this. So let's look at a second agreement. Verse eight, for finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a, say it, new covenant. Somebody say it again, new covenant. Say it again, new covenant. How often in your Christian life have you heard sermons on the new covenant? It just blows my mind. Why did I not hear a very clear distinction between the old and the new covenant besides the Bible? <laughs> and and, and that, could, that could stand some talking about too. Because the new covenant didn't start in Matthew. Mark, Luke, and John. It didn't start there. No. You know, I think Acts was an excellent little introduction, but Romans, man, that's where it started because listen, you, it, 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 did, it didn't start when Jesus was born, it started when he died. Because the testament could not be activated without the death of the testator. That's where the New Testament started. Somebody said, well, what's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Ooh, Matthew, I'm glad you asked that question. Matthew, Mark, I don't, I don't get a chance to talk about that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was Jesus operating as a prophet under the old agreement, doing what we just saw in Matthew, fulfilling and, and doing the things. But at the same time, he was also laying the groundwork for the new. He was laying the groundwork for the new and, and yet here's this powerful Jesus. You know, Pastor Mike and I had a very interesting, he brought a very interesting point up. He says, dude, you think if we just had the Holy Spirit without Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, could we make it? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yes. I mean, in fact, if we could know about the new covenant before we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it would have really fallen in place. And if we knew about the gospel of grace before the old covenant, you can look at the old covenant and see stuff. You can see the root and the prophetic mentions and the shadows. You can see the, you can see the shadow once you see the person. But what happened, we went and looked at the shadow first before we saw where it was coming from. <laughs> you go back and study the Gospels first and then read stuff after you study the Gospels. Everything falls in place. Everything falls in place. See, somebody says, well, I'm just going to read the red and I'll be able to make it. You better watch out reading the red. Because reason, reading a, a lot of the red is performance-based Christianity. And it was Jesus functioning under the law, was born under the law so he can set those who were under the law free from the law. 
So I don't know about you. Somebody says, well, what's the best book to read once you get saved? Not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Boy, I'm going to take people to the book of Acts so they can see the testimony of Paul. And then once they read the testimony of Paul, see the teachings of Paul starting in Romans. And I, I may start off in Galatians. Galatians and Hebrews, oh my goodness. All right, help me find out where I am before I had that, that rabbit trail. All right, so we're talking about the, the, the new covenant. The new covenant. I'm praying that out of this room, God will give birth to, to sermons and books and things on the new covenant. That we would flood the Christian market with information about the gospel, the new covenant. For finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Aaron or Judah. Uh, now, he's going to tell you in verse 9 a couple of things. Number one, how is he going to make this new covenant and how he's not going to make this new covenant. This is awesome. I'll, I'll look at it in King James and Amplified. He says, now, I'm going to make this new covenant not according to the covenant that I made with their father. So we know that. We know right away that this is going to be a different agreement. This agreement is not going to be like the one that he made with, with their fathers. In the day when he talks about the issue here, when I took them by the hand and to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenants when I showed up to show them favor, they continued not in my covenant. He says, I regarded them not, saith the Lord, because that agreement says, if you don't do your part, I don't have to do mine. He says, I'm not gonna make another covenant where it is dependent on you to do your part in order for me to do mine. There were things that God couldn't do under that first agreement because they didn't do their part, then he couldn't do his. He said, this new covenant is not going to be based on your performance. This is awesome too. Neither is this new covenant going to be based on your faithfulness. Yeah. It's not going to be based on your faithfulness. Now, I didn't say, I didn't say that, that uh, faithfulness is not going to be a part of your life, but the difference is, Faithfulness was the root under the first agreement. Faithfulness is not going to be the fruit under this new agreement. You're going to bear. Most of the things you do under the new agreement are going to be fruit bearing things. Obedience was the root under the first agreement. Obedience is going to be the fruit under this agreement. You're going to be fruit bearers. <laughs> You're going to be fruit bearers under this new covenant. All right, now, look at the Amplified here. How it's not going to be. What is this new covenant going to be like? He says, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I grasped them by the hand to help and relieve them and lead them out from the land of Egypt, for they did not abide in my agreement with them. And so I withdrew my favor and disregarded them, saying the Lord. He said, just, cause they keep, just because they didn't keep their part, didn't mean I wouldn't keep my part. The agreement was, you do, I do. You don't, I don't. I'm faithful. I'm going to keep my part even when you don't. This is not the agreement where you say, oh, God, come on, give me a break. There's no break under this agreement. You don't get a break in this agreement. 
He says, this new covenant is not going to be like this. So for us as ministers of the gospel, ministers of the New Testament, to teach performance-based Christianity, look at what you're doing. Look at what's happening with the lives of the people. They're sweating and working and doing all kinds of, 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 of Christianity-based compulsive disorder. You're creating a disorder in people. You're, you know, you're creating a cycle of sin. Um, you know, I, I'm going to perform, and then I'm going to try to keep the commandments, but then you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to keep it. And then I'm going to feel guilty, and then I'm going to feel shame. And then I'm going to feel like I got to do something to fix it. And then the same thing happens again. I do it again. And then I get, feel guilty and then shame. And, and then I'm going to try to do something to fix it. And you just, it's compulsive Christianity disorder. And that's, that, that is a description of the churches today. While we're talking about we don't need to teach grace because we got big crowds and a lot of offerings, check your people out. They're suicidal. They're guilty. They're full of shame. And in the booth in the back in the corner of the dark, when it allows, I'm on sin. So I can be phony at church because I know how to say praise the Lord. And, hallelujah. and the same thing with preachers. No preacher's going to tell you the issues that they're going to deal with. Why? Who wants to walk in shame? I'm not doing that. So we have to now do the worst thing. Try to look like we're flawless. Now we plan a lie. Who wants that bondage? Who wants to be the best person in hell? And I apologize for getting, getting kind of crunk on this, but it's like, God, dog it, let's fix this thing. And I just don't play the games, you know. Of course, I don't get the invitations anymore, but I don't have time for them anyway. But I don't play the games. I'm just, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to play the preacher game, you know. Hello, brother, how are you? God, you know, so, so what y'all doing over there at, at World Changes? Oh, we building a new building. Oh, that's success. We just bought a new bus two weeks ago. I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. I, I, what's going on at World Changes? We're getting delivered. All of us, we're getting delivered from our self-righteousness and Jesus is being unveiled and we're just focusing on him and we're turning into a bunch of Jesus freaks. That's what we're doing. So this covenant is not going to be one based on the old agreement. And this is the one we live by. So when you start teaching people, you got to do this in order to get that. When you start teaching people, well, you know, you've got to work in order to get what was already given. I was reading, I was, my meditation this morning was out of Romans chapter 413. It says, so if the promise of God that you, he would be heirs of the world, uh, that Abraham and his seed, he get, they get it through the righteousness of faith and not through the law. In other words, he just simply says, he, it was freely given, now you freely receive. Well, what does that, in, what does that in, entail? Well, you know, if when I believe something, I, I learned that most things are activated with my mouth. Hold my mouth up and 
I declare, I believe that. I believe I freely receive everything Jesus freely gave me. Praise God, I believe I received that. And um, so I know my mouth is getting involved, not so I can earn it, but so I can receive it. You can't receive what you don't believe. And what you believe, you're going to say. And when you really believe it, here's the ultimate place, the posture. It is, it is hearing the promise and then I say it because I believe it, but then the posture is a posture of rest. I rest there. I rest in it. It's finished. How can you tell I'm resting? You ask me the same question, I'm going to tell you the same answer. I believe I freely receive everything that Jesus has given me. I believe I, re I freely receive emotions that are under my authority. I freely receive all the money necessary to do everything God told me to do. So now that's going to get you to start examining. Well, I don't never have no money. Well, maybe you ain't doing what he told you to do. Because God is a God of provision for vision. So you got to see if your vision, I mean, he's just not going to give you no money. I'm going to have this money so we can invest our money in this little scheme and make money. He ain't doing all that. He ain't going to get involved with all that. But God is always going to support what he told you to do. He'll always do it. All righty. Uh, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. I'll write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God. They shall be to me a people. Powerful. But you see the word law there and you think, wait a minute. I thought you said we're not a part of that. He's not talking about writing the Ten Commandments in your heart. Under grace, people think that we're lawless. We're not. Under the grace of God, we, we have a law. He's delivered us from the big ten to the big one. A new commandment I give unto you. What is the law that he's going to write on our heart? The royal law of love. The perfect law of liberty. Watch this, the law of faith. I mentioned the law of faith because it doesn't take faith to live under the law of Moses. But it does take faith to live under this agreement of grace, believing that you're the righteousness of God, even when you do a, make a dumb decision to do something. It takes faith to do that. He says, I'm going to write it on your mind. I'm going to write it in your heart. The royal law of, law of love. And when, See, when you operate in love, then you'll fulfill the law. You operate in the love of God. You're not going to steal. You're not going to kill. You're not going to do none of those things. But you're going to be motivated by the Holy Ghost because with the new covenant comes the Holy Spirit to, to guide you. He is now your guide. He is your guide through the finished works of Jesus Christ. He is, the one, he is the, your guide through transformation. He's your guide through holiness. Let me tell you something about holiness. The day you got born again, an instant miracle took place. You know what that was? The day you got born again, you were instantly made righteous, instantly redeemed, and instantly made holy. You're not becoming holy, and one day you're going to get there. The day you got saved, you were made holy. And what happens is that what people are going to see is they're going to see the fruit of what's already been there. Till Christ be formed into you. They're going to see the visible fruit of what's already there. That's the process. There's no process in, in being holy. You, you got holy the day you got saved. 
The process is seeing all of that because the Holy Spirit's going to start working in you and then you'll, and, and other people will see holy. But if you don't believe that you've been made holy at that moment, then you're going to spend your time working to try to earn something that you already are and you start, you got to start realizing who you are and once you understand your identity, then your behavior will line up with your identity. But if you keep identifying with a sinner, I'm just a sinner. You're not a sinner once you get born again. You're not a sinner. You are a saint. Yeah, but Brother Dollar, I sin, so I must be a sinner. Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. It's who lives in you. Your root makes you a sinner. The devil was your daddy, and that old man was living on the inside of you. That The old man made you a sinner. But you don't have the old man in you no more. You have the new creation on the inside of you no more. And so now it, you're not a sinner. You're a saint. You're a saint. The more you resolve that issue of your identity, your behavior begins to line up with your identity. <laughs> no. We, we've made sin the central issue of everything. We've made sin the central issue of life. It's not. It's not, it's not, it's not. We're so focused on sin and so scared that, what was this thing I was thinking about the other day? So scared that if we don't deal with sin, and, and that's not saying that you don't deal with it, that's not what I'm saying, but we're so, we're so sin conscious that we can't even be delivered from sin because we're not conscious enough of the righteousness and what he's already done where sin is concerned, and you just keep making the problem bigger and worse. So, verse 11. Oh, go back, go back to verse 10. So he says, I'm going to write it on your heart, write it on your mind, and I will be to them a God. Under this new covenant, you have a God. Under this new covenant, you have a God. And under this new covenant, he has a people. This is the agreement. Verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. I believe this is, this is where the Holy Spirit is just going to be just really amplified and magnified because the Holy Spirit is now working in you in this new covenant, and he's teaching you to know the Lord. The Holy Spirit is now teaching you in so many ways. He's doing so many things in you now. The Holy Spirit is taking away your old desires and replacing them with desires that please God. We're not talking about you having, you know, responsible for this or that. The Holy Spirit's accepted responsibility for taking away the old want-tos and giving you new want-tos. That's his job. And so the Holy Spirit's working in you. He's working in you. Somebody says, well, how long is the work going to last until Christ appear? But he's working in you. Well, well, I'm a minister now. He's still working in you. That's the, that's the thing. He didn't, he, didn't stop working. he didn't stop working in you the day you got a title. And that's another thing. What's up with all these titles? Title ain't going to increase your anointing. You could probably get a good little ceremony out of it. But you have to know who you are before somebody tries to give you a title. The Lord said this to me, oh, 30-some years ago. He said, uh, I told him, I said, I'm a pastor teacher. He said, let me ask you a question. <laughs> uh, he said, which would you prefer, the title or the anointing? I said, I prefer the anointing. He said, well, let me tell you who you're going to be. 
don't you get get on that. You you don't. and I, I and I I'm 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 I'm, sl- I'm bond slave of Jesus Christ. I'd rather be known as a bond slave than to try to dictate my anointing and my identity based on a title. I'm just saying, ain't nothing wrong with them. I'm not trying to say anything wrong with your title. It's just how much are you investing? How much stock are you putting in your title? You can have one, but don't put too much stock in it. You know, that's not what makes you. That's not what makes you. It might be useful in certain denominations and what you're trying to do, but you're not made by what people call you. Just make sure they call you anointed. Because it's embarrassing to have a title and don't have the stuff to go with it. You know, somebody comes in, I'm a plumber, and the boy can't fix a leak. All right, let me leave that alone. All right, so go back to verse, uh, uh, chapter, verse 11. Where we get to, uh, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, uh, for all shall know him from least of grace. Now, you, you, you remember the scripture, in, I believe it's 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, and it says, The anointing uh, that abides in you teaches you all things, and you, you don't need any man to teach you. Well, you have to understand the context there. If you read that whole chapter, there were some things they already knew that the Holy Spirit already put in them and they had already been convinced about. And so these other guys were deceived and trying to fight against this gospel. And, and he goes on and he says, listen, you don't need any deceived man teaching you. He didn't mean you don't need a man teaching you because if he didn't want a man teaching you, or a woman teaching you, he would not have given the fivefold ministry gifts, the apostle, the pastor, the prophet, the teacher, evangelist. So that's not what he meant. So people throw that. Well, my Bible tells me that I don't need no man teaching me. And you say that that's your problem now. Ain't nobody teaching you. That's not what he meant. He says you don't need no deceived man teaching you. So the Holy Spirit begins to, to not only teach you, but the Holy Spirit begins to talk through those other gifts to birth revelation in you. How many of you know you can get the word of God, you get the word of God, and then you get a word from God? And then you get the word of God and you get the word of God and you get a word from God. See, the key is you don't get breakthrough until you get a word from God. Word of God, word of God. See, I'm, we're, we're going to be talking to you the next couple of days. And you're going to be hearing, you're going to be taking notes, you're going to be, you know, looking at some things, you're going to ooh, ah. And, and, and not to say that none of that matters, but if you don't use it properly and spend the time with it properly so you can hear a word from God See, this is, this is, this is, uh, uh, what you're getting today is, 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 is outer court stuff. You're getting, you know, uh, living room stuff. But when you get a word from God, you, you're going to be getting uh, bedroom stuff. And breakthrough comes, you know, read, read, read the Bible. It's when they heard from God. And so are you willing to position yourself to get a word from God? Or are you just saying, well, Lord, if he did, you, Lord, if you did it for them, you can do it for me. Not necessarily. He did it for them because they got a word from God. You still in the living room. Okay, let me leave that alone. All right, verse 12. Now, here is the, 
Here is the major piece to the new covenant. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their unrighteous deeds will I remember no more. All right, now here's the key. If God, notice in the new covenant, it's I will, here's God. I will, I will, I will, I will. And verse 12 is, um, I'm glad you said that. Say that. Um, 